What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Design Huddle, a podcast about UX, creative careers, and the internet. This podcast is hosted by myself, Ryan Warner, and my co-host, Brendan Gross. Let's dive in to today's episode of Design Huddle. Thank you for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, if you are looking to build your brand and storytell to your customers effectively, this episode is for you. Today's guest is a major social media strategy leader, brand expert, and speaker. Just to give you guys a tiny glimpse into how accomplished she is, she has more than 10 years of experience working with both major tech and entertainment companies. She's the CEO of Warm Robots, her social media agency where she leads strategy for major brands and Fortune 500s. She serves on the Producers Guild. She's a Forbes fellow as well as writes for Forbes on personal branding and storytelling in the digital age. And that's only the half of it. With well over 4 million views, she produces the number one top performing LinkedIn video under the hashtag Daily Goldie, which is the longest running original daily video series to date on LinkedIn. And on top of all of that, she's spoken on some of the largest stages with some of the largest brands on the topic of innovative digital marketing, LinkedIn optimization, and personal branding. She's talked at VidCon, at Google, South by Southwest, Social Media Marketing World, at Adobe Insider Summit, Lego, and at the Shorty Awards. So please put your hands together or your ears and please help me welcoming who so many call the Oprah of LinkedIn, Goldie Chan. Thank you for having me, guys. (laughs) Yeah, welcome to Design Huddle. We're super excited to have you. To to start out, give us, like, let's, let's talk about journey. So you have a very lengthy career. Bring us to, like, the beginning of when you decided, yo, I want to actually build a personal brand. I want to start uh, creating my own path and my own job, so to speak. So what made Goldie, you, decide to go off on your own, build your own company, become a person who is very much in the limelight nowadays? Um, you know, Tell us that story. Sure. So this is how it all began, which everything great begins as an accident, as I like to say. <laughs> so I had just left a head of marketing position at a social analytics startup based in New York while I was still living in Los Angeles. So I was doing the time zone change. I was doing all of that beautiful, amazing work and I was exhausted. So I was about to take a month off just to recalibrate, aka that beautiful month sabbatical before I jumped back in, got my next you know, head of marketing or, or VP of marketing role. And in that month off, because this is the way the universe works, I got into the LinkedIn video beta. Now, also during this month off, I created a social media strategy agency that was really so I didn't have a gap in my work experience 
mm. before going back to work. And a lot of people do this. So this is not just me. So I started up a social media strategy agency. I did not, and I still to this day do not ever advertise or ironically do a ton of social media around my social media strategy agency at all. And it's called Warm Robots. And I think this is really the funny part. As I grew in notoriety, my agency gained clients. So a non-existent agency that I was not actually trying to get clients for suddenly had paying clients. Um, and this was, once again, this started off very accidentally. So I started doing LinkedIn videos. And my goal for LinkedIn videos was not to do 730 daily consecutive videos, which I just wrapped. My goal for LinkedIn videos was I'm going to do three videos that I find really fun that are super low budget, aka no budget, because I don't want to have to pay an editor. I've done, you know, larger scale production before. I just wanted to record some content that I found interesting talking about subjects I love the most. And Brandon, you'll understand this. So my first video was actually on Harry Potter, facts, figures, and metrics behind that. So understanding the marketing and the business side behind the Harry Potter franchise. And my next video after that was actually on the Simpsons franchise. Um, and I just kept making videos. So two videos became five videos five videos became 10 videos. And at 10 videos, LinkedIn contacts me and says, hey, your videos are kind of weird. Can we talk to you? And I'm like, oh no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, I wasn't trying to do anything bad, believe me. So they just, you know, they talked to me and they said, okay, so our entire team is watching your videos. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And they just said, you're not creating video content like we intended at all. So they had intended people to create really more like whiteboard explainer videos, really static videos. And I was doing at the time, these very hilariously amateur, you know, walk and talk videos where I walked and I'm not on a gimbal. So it's very shaky. Uh, and I'm talking through essentially a list of Wikipedia facts or, you know, facts that I had researched about a subject like ride sharing, or trains in the US, um, yeah. all these different subjects. So they just kept looking at my content and saying, we don't understand, but slowly it was gaining traction. So the first couple of videos I did, the first, I would say even 50 videos I did, I wasn't really getting more than 100, 200 views. And when you think about that in the grand scheme of things, anyone who was more strategic than me would have stopped. Yeah. <laughs> because 50 consecutive videos and you're not getting like any, I was not getting a video that suddenly got 5 million views, right? That's not what encouraged me to continue. But what did encourage me to continue was I was getting such amazing engagement. Once mm. again, it's not the kind of engagement where I'm getting 5 million comments, but I was just getting the comments I was getting. People were watching my content all the way through. They were commenting on the actual content itself. So I wasn't getting spam comments. Um, I was just getting a lot of really positive feedback. And then of course I do have to say around video 30, Jeff Wiener, who's the CEO of LinkedIn mentions me in a keynote on these are our top video creators right now on the platform. 
And at the time, you have to understand, this is 30 days into me being in a beta for a product, and I'm suddenly a top creator on the platform. It's a little surreal. And at this point, am I still attempting to make this into something I monetize? Am I thinking at all that way? Absolutely not. This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this is a new platform, and I've worked for over a decade in social media marketing, um, in digital marketing, and a lot of my specialty lies in community building. So what I'm thinking is I want to build an amazing community that is super supportive of new creators. And I actually don't care if I'm number one. That of course is deeply ironic because two years later, I'm definitely number one, right? Like a year later, I was basically number one. But a month in, two months in, three months in, I just really wanted to make sure people felt comfortable creating content on the platform and that I was just a really friendly resource so they yeah. could look at my horribly edited videos and really laugh and say, of course they can do something that's technically better than that, right? Of course they could yeah. get on their phone and create something very similar to what I had created. And yeah, so I will take you a little further down that journey. So about, <laughs> about 80 videos in, it's Halloween, I'm sick. And you have to understand, this is still year one of me creating content. I still don't think that it's necessarily a thing. I have already uploaded my daily video for the day, so I'm done. I'm done with LinkedIn for the day. I've already commented. I already spent basically two or three hours already on the platform. I'm good. I suddenly get all these texts from my LinkedIn friends and they say, you need to get on the platform right now. You need to come look, you have to see this. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna see this. And when I look at the platform, it's a picture of Peter Roybal, who's the head of video at LinkedIn, dressed as me with a green wig. Um, they've cut out a paper LinkedIn video <laughs> frame. And so it's, I have all these great pictures of him just holding the frame and then there's his, his colleagues who are literally taking behind the scenes pictures of him holding the frame, attempt pretending to do a shaky selfie video the way I do it. So I became an official Halloween costume at LinkedIn. And around this time I thought, okay, well, I have an inkling that perhaps this is uh, something valid <laughs> at this point. And you have to understand the whole time during this, I'm doing social media strategy work. Right. So mm. I'm once again, I'm creating video content, but I'm not driving. And I still, as Brandon knows to this day, I still don't really drive my traffic towards anything. I just want to create really interesting educational or entertainment based content. And when people look more deeply into what I do, then they realize, oh, they I can hire Goldie to do interesting things around personal branding, branding or marketing. Yeah. Yep. So that's video 80. And you have to understand, I got to all the way to 730. So a couple of other milestones between then and there. Um, at, by this point in time, I think around my 360th video, 365. So that's one year. Um, a fan of mine hosted hosted a party for me in Dallas, Texas. So I was do, traveling all over the US, all over the world, meeting my fans, probably kind of unsafe, uh, <laughs> totally sight unseen, um, staying in their homes, you know, meeting their communities. And so one of my fans in Dallas hosted this sponsored party for me and a bunch of my Texan fans, you know, came in from all over Texas. Some actually flew in from other plates, parts of the US just to come to this year party. And the best part is after I had my one year party, LinkedIn looked at that and the team reached out to me and said, by the way, we just realized we should probably host a one year 
anniversary party, would you want to host that? Um, and so I'm like, of course, you know, I'll come out to New York and I'll, I'll host that party. So I hosted the official LinkedIn one year anniversary party a few days after my, um, a, a couple weeks after my 365th party. And I also, of course, did the first ever LinkedIn creator summit at VidCon. So I brought an entire new, entirely new platform to the VidCon video ecosystem, um, which I'm very proud of doing that. And it has been a very interesting journey ever since. So that's kind of the milestones that takes me. And then, you know, a year later, now we're here, we're two years later, along the lines, Forbes reached out to me, made me a Forbes fellow. Um, and then after they had buttered me up, they asked me to write, um, contribute a column for them. And this doesn't happen for a lot of Forbes contributors, but they reached out and they gave me a column. So they said, we specifically want you to write exactly about this personal branding and storytelling in the digital age. So they wow. said, you would be really interesting talking about these two subjects because you already talk about it and we've been tracking you. And I'm like, oh my God, the Forbes mafia has been <laughs> looking for me. Got... Eyes <laughs> out for Goldie. They're tracking you. They're tracking me. So Yes, and of course, along the line, along just along that journey, there's been so many other interesting, fascinating milestones. For a year, I served as a global ambassador for WeWork. Um, now I'm currently, along with Brandon, I'm one of the Adobe Insiders, so I'm an Adobe ambassador, um, which I'm incredibly proud of. Uh, and then also last year, I actually served as an ambassador between the UK and the US for the mayor of London's office uh, for entrepreneurship. Um, and so that was, that was pretty exciting as literally, ironically, it was the first time I had been to London was the trip where I served as an ambassador. Um, it, it Go was just Goldie, quick, really quick, quick question in here. Do you yes. ever sleep? Do you ever take, <laughs> how, many hours, how many hours a night do you sleep? This is like the most insane story ever. Like, yeah. So from everything from my posted my first video to now you're a, a global ambassador. <laughs> uh, Brandon knows by the amount of texts that I send him. <laughs> no, I, I actually, you know what? I will say year one, because you have to understand year one of a new project, when you are just so excited, you're so in love, you have this amazing community around you. you it's not that you need a ton of sleep because you are so motivated. And so, at least for me, I was so motivated, so in love, so deeply in love with the community that I was building um, with the content, not always great content, but you know, like really had my heart in it kind of content I was creating that the first year it was so effortless. I mean, it took a lot of work, but it was effortless in the way that I was just so in love with what I was doing. And so it never occurred to me that it was a sacrifice to give up sleep to give mm. up, let's be honest, relationships, right? And some of those things that go along with it because you just don't have time because you're so busy and in the weeds creating content, um, managing community. And like I said, I was flying all over to meet my fans and hosting meetups that first year. And then in the second year, it's been very different because now it's been established that I'm the top cr video creator on the platform. And so I actually don't really host one-on-one -on -one meetups anymore or, you know, one to few meetups anymore. Uh, but I do like to always meet my fans and talk with them. 
And to answer your sleep question, no, I am literally still catching up on sleep. <laughs> That's an incredible yeah. story. And I think like it's just so inspiring to see that you started small. You kind of stuck with it. You grew a community. And I, I think the thing that I'm the most interested in is like I've read some of your articles. I've watched some of your videos. You're an incredible storyteller. Becoming a good storyteller is like not an easy thing to do. Is there any like tips you could give Brendan, myself, or the rest of the Design Huddle community on how we can become better storytellers? Well, what I love is that with the Design Huddle community, you're visual storytellers, right? And so for me, I've actually mostly been a writer for most of my life, which I find deeply ironic that now people know me for video content and visual content. Yeah. Um, and I will say there's, you know, there's like an animated character version of me now floating out in space and um, people buy green wigs and pretend to be me. So there's a huge visual element to that. But to go back to storytelling, I think the best stories and the best narrative content always comes from what are you trying to say and why, right? The what and the why. And if you want to make a real story, a story is not a dot in time because a dot in time is just part of a greater story. So I always think about what is your beginning, what is your middle, and what is your end? What is that arc that you're trying to tell with your story? And of course, for example, for me, one article may not be the entire story that I'm telling, but a series of articles is the story I'm telling. For example, I write a lot on Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and hilariously, this is the weirdest side effect of this entire journey. I rank 21 in the world now for Dungeons and Dragons and that was not true even a year ago, right? So Goldie and, needs her own expansion pack. I know I might have been, well, <laughs> I, I have been lucky enough to actually go to Wizards of the Coast, which is um, the publisher that now owns D&D multiple times. I actually met Luke Guy Gygax, I pronounced his name totally wrong, who is the son of Gary Gygax, the original creator of Dungeons and Dragons. And he came up to me and he's like, Goldie, hi. And I was like, oh my God, how do you, <laughs> how do you, how do you flip in know my name? Um, <laughs> and so now I have a Gary Khan hat. That's the convention he hosts for his, um, his late father. But um, yeah, I always think that when you're thinking about storytelling, it's thinking about more than just that one dot in time. You're really creating a narrative that exists over several sequences, right? Either several pieces of writing, several videos, um, several pieces of design content, or even if you're thinking about a website, what journey is that website taking that person onto from front page to second page to last page? There's, of course, no last page on a website, but you get what I'm saying. As you journey through something like that, where is the beginning, middle, and end? And so one of the things I love to do also in my standalone videos that I create is I like to start with really an intro, especially if I'm in an interesting place like Pixar or I was just at D23, Disney's fan conference, and I'll usually do something like a mini tour of the place. And then at the end, I will ask a question because I am a school teacher. <laughs> so I will ask a question like, how can you make your, your branded experience more interactive? And it's really a quiz based off what I've shown people in that video. So for example, I took people through a tour of the avatar experience at D23 
and I pointed out, okay, here's where, where we have photo ops. Here's where we have um, an art exhibit of fake fauna and plants from the avatar world that they had a museum create. Um, here is, you know, here's like tablets that have this like walkthrough that you can go through. So it's all about taking the content in that video that I've shown and then asking a question as a wrap up to my story. So let's talk about this, Goli. <laughs> Storytelling. You make it seem so effortless. It must be the green hair. It, it must be in your genetics. It just all comes out. But let's let's talk about like the nitty gritty. Yes. How does somebody learn to storytell? Was there, you know, through the progression of your, your career, what resources, what research um, outside of Wikipedia? No, that, that's still a very <laughs> reputable source. It um and me and you talk about this a lot information age we have so much we can pull from to you know pull, put into our arsenal literally like five minutes uh <laughs> before you need it but um let's talk about how you learn to storytell because people talk and especially in me and ryan's industry in design people are always like oh storytell and like i just imagine people going like nobody can <laughs> everybody who's watching this you guys can't see me do this brandon but is I, making some really feel, fun motions right now <laughs> i feel like i feel like when people start talking about storytelling in design i feel like it's really elitist really quick um ryan's like brandon calm down <laughs> You but, know what? Dungeons, to me, Dungeons and Dragons, to bring it back to that, is one of yeah. the best examples of storytelling. It's so pure because you are taking this team of people, for those of you who are not familiar, it's a game where the dungeon master creates a story that the players then play through. And the best part about this is the players will definitely try to derail the story completely, mess up what the dungeon master has done, but even though it's not along the same parameters that the dungeon master started with, that's still a story. And why is it a story? Because they're going on an adventure. And I think the best kind of storytelling feels like that. You are going on a journey. You're going on an adventure. And it's really obvious when it's an actual adventure that they're going on. They're trying to not rescue a dragon, but maybe murder a dragon <laughs> uh, along the way. And yes, I think in terms of resources, so what I love about this day and age, which wasn't true like 20 years ago, right? If we think about it, which is really a short period of time ago, 23 years ago, we had just books. Now I love books. I love reading books. I am a really voracious reader. But if you are not a reader, which is so hard to be a reader in this day and age when there's so much stimuli, there's things like online courses. So definitely thinking about taking classes online is a great way to learn, excuse me, how to create stories. So I myself teach quite a few courses um, in LinkedIn learning. I actually teach, I, so meta, I teach the LinkedIn, the official LinkedIn course on how to create LinkedIn video. <laughs> it's like Inception. Like it, it. Is, it is actually Inception. And the best part is they used an experimental way to film this. So they actually tried to shoot it like my vlog videos, which is very different than pretty much every other course you will see on LinkedIn Learning, which is, you know, really a sitting head and you're talking at the camera. So... You can definitely access those courses on LinkedIn Learning. I'm positive there's some really wonderful courses on storytelling and really understanding narrative there. And the best part about that, and I have to plug this, 
is I know that if you have a library card in California, New York, or Texas, because my fans have checked, you can get um, access to these things for free. So Ooh. please do. Um, okay. And wow. and if you are in a different state or country than that, I advise you to check in with your local library and see if that is something that's a resource that you can get for free. But I, of course, have to shout out because it exists, YouTube. I think YouTube is one of the best ways to learn pretty much any skill right now outside of, say, thoracic surgery or something really complicated that needs a degree. <laughs> um, but in terms of storytelling, that's definitely one thing. But I also think I just I'm such a fan of stories. I love stories. I love dissecting what I think is a brand story. And I do this by going to a ton of pop-ups. I do this by following Instagram accounts that tell stories. And I don't mean just, um, which I do follow as well, Instagram accounts that have comics that go down, you know, like A to B to C, but people who tell a story about their lives through their Instagram account. I find that super fascinating. Um, that to me is another super free resource that you can access and you can research. And I will say this too, um, a little bit less easy to find accounts that are, that are clear, but definitely Twitter as well. So there are some people who, when they're tweeting about their lives and their day to day, it is really interesting because they are creating their narrative in what is it 140 i should know this off the top of my head 140 <laughs> characters and they're creating that narrative there now i have to say that i of course have to reference linkedin so one of the things that i do among the many things that i do is i do personal branding for fortune 500 c-level executives that's a mouthful and i help them understand their overall personal brand on social media now i will say when you are at that level in your career you do not need to be on every social media platform, right? You don't need to be on Snapchat, bless Snapchat, um, but you probably should be on LinkedIn. And you might want to be on Instagram, especially if the brand that you're managing is very visual. Or you might want to be on Twitter, especially if you have to talk to quite a bit of press. So it really just depends on what your goals are as that kind of C-level executive and what exactly your role is. Um, and you might want to be writing on Medium as well. So really, when I'm thinking about the narrative, the story behind a brand at that level, I'm also thinking what platforms are appropriate platforms to tell that story. Because once again, not every platform is an appropriate platform. Yeah, I love that. Those are some phenomenal, phenomenal tips. Great resources. I couldn't agree more that there's no better time to pick a skill and become an expert at it for pretty much free or very, very, you know, low with a very low cost. Well, I just want to transition a little bit. You're also a, a very decorated and phenomenal public speaker. Do you have any like tips uh, for people that want to become better, spe better public speakers? Um, I know that everyone kind of has their tips and tricks. Is there anything that any, any, any gems that you could share with us? Well, I have to say, a lot of what I did was just get out there. So if no one, first of all, let's start with the bare bones of it, the very bottom level. No one is asking you to speak, but you want to learn how to become a better speaker. How do you solve this chicken the egg problem? To me, what I did was I started to pull together these small events, right? Panels. And I would either moderate or I love to moderate. 
because I love people. Um, I would either moderate or I would be a person on this panel of really interesting people and we'd have a single subject and we talk. And you know the best part about panel is that you don't have to talk the entire time. So it's a really wonderful way to get your first kind of level of speaking experience out there. And plus, if you are putting together that panel, you can pick the subject of that panel. So you will know exactly what you're talking about. And of course, I have to shout out WeWork. WeWork is always willing to, not always, but WeWork is usually very willing to have people come to their space, have an event like that, um, have people come and speak and educate. So as long as it's educational and not salesy, which I know we should all avoid sometimes, <laughs> then it's really helpful. It's a helpful resource. And not just WeWork, but a lot of actually other co-working spaces out there have similarly open doors. And I will say another one here in the States, for those of you who are listening outside the United States, good luck, <laughs> is General Assembly. So General Assembly is another great resource where you can pitch them to say, hey, I want to speak on XYZ subject. And you may not get, let's be honest, you may not get paid for it, right? You may not get paid for the panel. You may not be paid to speak at General Assembly. However, speaking at both of these kinds of places gives you the credibility and the exposure to possibly start speaking for money at other places, right? Either at companies, which is what I will call corporate speaking, or public speaking, which is usually at conferences. That's a that that's phenomenal. We don't, I don't think we've had a design huddle guest that really has a grasp on um, you know up leveling public speaking. But I love the idea of starting small, getting yourself out there, and practicing. I mean, that, I think that kind of goes without saying. Like Gary Vee is always talking about getting yourself out there and making you know making the most of every opportunity. So. Uh, I think that totally resonates. I think it's all about you start, and we all start like this, right? You start out as terrible, <laughs> yeah. and then you practice, so you become slightly less terrible, but still <laughs> probably kind yes. of terrible. Yes. And you just go up the ranks of terrible until you hit mediocre, and then once we're at mediocre, we're we're flying then, because then we're so close to good. <laughs> right, but you can't, and I love that because you can't become the best public speaker in the world without that first one where you were about to like throw up right before you started talking, you know? So I think that that initial phase that everyone has, like, I don't think people, maybe some people extroverts are, have a little bit, um, I don't think you're born a public speaker. I think some people naturally can do it a little bit better, but yeah, getting yourself out there, making mistakes, learning from it and just kind of staying at it. Love that. Simple, simple and true. The extrovert versus introvert thing. So I'm actually a pure introvert. People think I'm an extrovert, but I'm not. When I hang out with lots of people, when I'm exposed to a lot of people, I just want to go home and I'll tell you what I've been doing lately. Rewatch Star Trek TNG. <laughs> <laughs> AK huddle with my Netflix account. And also Disney got me. So I just bought three years of Disney Plus. So I suppose I will oh start doing that God. in November is watch just a ton of Disney Plus because I bought it. <laughs> um, oh, Lord. But with extroverts versus introverts, now people think extroverts would be the best possible speakers because they have no fear. They can get on stage. However, a good speaker is not just being able to get on stage, right? A really great speaker is someone who can connect to their audience. And that can be an introvert or an extrovert. You need that quality. I think the best 
speakers have that intangible, charismatic quality where they get on stage and they really connect with whoever their targeted audience is, the people in that audience. And that is something that you can learn, that you can practice, that you can get there and feel more physically comfortable on stage, but really that connection with the audience. If you've ever seen someone speak or even you've just been to a concert and you hear somebody perform and you're like, this is blowing my mind. It's probably because they have that intangible, charismatic, beautiful element to them where they are connecting with you. I will cite Taylor Swift. So Taylor Swift, regardless of if you like her or not, politics or not, she is a phenomenal performer. And she, mm. what she does incredibly well, and I've analyzed this because it's my favorite thing to do, is when she's performing, she'll stop in between sets and she makes sure she addresses the audience very casually, like a friend. So the barrier is lower and her audience loves her for that, right? Their audience loves her for being kind of an everyday girl who happens to now be crazy famous. Now, of course, if we look at other performers, right? We look at the Beyonce's of the world because I have to mention Beyonce because she's a queen. Beyonce doesn't do that. She is accessible to a certain type of audience, right? But outside of that, she is still the queen of her domain. So she doesn't want to be an average everyday girl. She wants to be accessible, but there's still a level of, I'm a pop star, I'm a rock star. And so it's really, how do you want to relate to your audience and start to think about that? Who do you want to be to your audience? Do you want to be an expert? Do you want to be a close personal friend? You know, what are the different levels? What would that look like to you? Are there people who are doing that in music, in the arts, on stage, who are already that person? And can you think about ways that you could filter that through your personality and maybe emulate them? Nobody could said that better than you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's ex extremely important to really what you've been hammering on through, uh, you know, the start of this is really understanding your message. Who do you want to be to the people that you're building community with? And I think you've been like extremely selective with the, I think, not I think, I know you've been doing this for <laughs> basically forever and you're very good, but I love how you continue to use the word community. And I feel like when a lot of people talk about social media, they talk about, you know, sales, people are, especially with personal brands, like if they, if I'm a creative showcasing my work or my portfolio, when I'm, you know, mentoring these, uh, these other creatives, it seems like they feel like they should have a follower base backing them and basically telling them how cool they are, where really it's what you're saying. It's you are a community manager. And you are building a community and you are just one of the people who are facilitating a conversation within a community. You're not the pop star. You're not the or at least I love how you, we're talking about it in that manner, because I feel like um, a lot of people want to be the Beyonce, but it's not. It comes off as, uh, you know, wanting people want they're wanting people to be like, I'm the best, not coming from that passionate place that we talked about earlier where you were just busting out videos right and left in the beginning of your career just because you had the passion and the drive to do so. Yeah, and I think that was what really set me apart. In fact, I absolutely know that's what set me apart. So there's there were maybe 10 to 20 other people who started in that beta at the same time I did, but I'm the only one who's called the Oprah of LinkedIn, right? 
And right. the reason behind that, first of all, was a hilarious article that went out and then I couldn't take it back from the Huffington Post. But the other reason for that is because I absolutely cared about the community first and just the quality of my own content, right? There's a mm -hmm. great quote um, by Ava DuVernay that I'm going to totally mess up right now. Um, but I think it's when you're in your own lane, there's no traffic. And that is exactly how I think about personal branding. When you create your own personal brand, there is no one else who can truly be in your lane. Now, Brandon knows this. I've actually been the last year or so, it's been really interesting for me because I've had a bunch of copycats. I literally have one girl who has green hair. She creates videos in the same exact style I create them in. Um, and she's a fan, so I don't take offense from that, right? But there's other people who literally have swerved in my lane and they're trying to take over my lane, which I just look at them and I think that's so silly because you're trying to take over my lane. But clearly the person who can do my lane the best is me. Now that is confidence. That's not ego because it would be ego to say I'm better than everyone else. It's confidence to say I'm better at this particular thing than somebody who's trying to directly compete with me, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I think that, that metaphor makes total sense. Yeah, confidence in a better hairstylist. <laughs> confidence in a better yeah. hairstylist. Hey. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's so important that you define your own lane when you have a personal brand when you're thinking about what story you're telling, because it will also make it so much clearer the story you're telling. It will make it so much clearer who you want to speak to, um, and to not always necessarily fashion a story based off what you think the audience wants, especially if it's not who you really are. Yeah. I see so many people, if we want, let's go into sales, right? Um, I see so many people who want to really push their products. So they try to become, I have so many people that I know on the LinkedIn platform who are trying to become the Gary V of LinkedIn. <laughs> that has 0% interested me to ever become the Gary V of LinkedIn, just because there's only one Gary V. He's Gary V. And if you want to try to become him, usually people are trying to emulate really superficial aspects of Gary V. Now, if you want to really become Gary V, you do it by putting out an obsessive amount of content. You do it by being on a billion stages all at the same time, by hiring the right team that creates content around you, by just blowing everyone out of the water because you're on so many different platforms at once. That is usually not what people say when they mean they want to be the Gary Vee of a platform. They think if they just curse a lot and they're super loud and they talk about themselves a lot, that's <laughs> Gary Vee. But the essence of, to me at least, because I super respect his work ethic and the te mm -hmm. his team's work right. ethic, is that the essence of his success is all of those other components I mentioned before and not actually just a swearing. That's a super superficial element of just his personality and, and his persona that he puts on. So if you wanna be the next Gary Vee of any platform, really think about what elements made him so unbeatable and so successful and not try to be the next Gary Vee of LinkedIn, so yeah. to speak, right? I, I, I think that's a great point. And I think like the theme of being authentic is so important. Um, I have to ask, like, how would you describe your own personal brand? 
So I will say that I taught a course at LinkedIn and they made me describe my own personal brand in this course. Also, I will say when I taught that LinkedIn video course, I still was fighting with LinkedIn that I wasn't the number one person on the platform for video because I felt that that would alienate my community by saying I was number one. Um, and I personally didn't necessarily believe it at the time and LinkedIn put it in a script and put it on the teleprompter. <laughs> so when it, when a script rolled by, I had, I stopped, I even paused and they were like, just read the script, just read the script. So I was like, hi, I'm Goldie Chan. I'm currently a top video creator on LinkedIn, <laughs> but I will say, so they made me do this exercise with myself, with my personal brand. So I like to say that my personal brand is very warm. It's really engaging. And then of course, it's a little magical, right? Because I love, I love, love, love all these nerdy, super nerdy things, but I believe in the magic of marketing and branding and how those elements, which seem so fluffy and superficial can change the way people feel about like a toilet plunger. It's, it's magical. How is that not magic, right? <laughs> It's a skill set. That way, that. <laughs> I know you're both laughing. You're like, yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. I think it, like I think that that's helpful. I I agree. Uh, just from like the the way you like, I would have you know, you're very personable. You're very authentic. You're very passionate. I think those are things that obviously come up come across very clearly in your talks. But you can also feel that in your writing style as well. I think like you talked a little bit about how you you know writing was really your first kind of uh, passion or you know, skill that got you a lot of recognition. Um, and is there, are you still writing? Do you have anything else that you're focusing on when it comes to the, on the writing side of your career? I wish I could actually clone myself and do 50 million more projects. I would love, love, love to do that. I will say in the past, so I'm also in the producers guild. Um, and I'm in the producers guild because I co-executive produced and actually co-wrote a serious financial drama, which is actually one of the precursors to the reason why Netflix has dramas right now. And so that got me into the producers guild. Nice. Um, so cool. I'm, I love narrative content in all forms. I do wish I just had more time to write, but I quite frankly, I mean, you're already asking me the question, how do I sleep with all the things I'm currently doing? <laughs> um, I would love to be able to write a little bit more, but right now, to me, it's not necessarily the season for me to write. Sure. So I am I'm in the season of me creating video content and writing these shorter form Forbes articles. But I think acknowledging that too, right? Like, you know, that's not where you're devoting your effort and you're putting your effort and your energy into something else. I think that that's a lot of self-awareness and a lot of people don't have that. So you're, you're I, you know, I think the worst thing you can do, which let's be honest, I was definitely doing this year one and a little bit into year two, uh, is trying to do way too much. I mean, I probably still do this, but taking on so many projects, taking on so many collaborations, taking on so much that all you can do is a really mediocre job that is so dangerous to anyone's personal brand is actually saying yes too much. And especially when you are on an upswing, for me, it was really important that everything year one, I said yes to, because I do believe that we don't always get a chance to be on an upswing. And I could tell I was, so I wanted to say yes to everything. I wanted to fly everywhere in the world and meet people. 
But I do think after a period of time, your success is based on how you say no, right? And how you can still mm -hmm. maintain relationships after you say no, uh, so that maybe you can work on those projects later when it is the right time to work on them and to collaborate with those people or those brands. So I think learning the right way to say no, and also just learning how to say no, so you don't feel that you are losing out on things is really important. Agreed. So let's let's dig a little bit deeper into that. <clears throat> so saying, because th this is a really difficult balance, and I, I, I also see it because it's an ebb and flow. I, I, you talk a lot about seasons, and you were conscious enough to be like, this was an upswing season. But let's talk about when in the beginning you if i'm gonna kind of put my own spin to and then you you, re, you guys react so it seems like you we have to say yes in the beginning in order to at least get our reps in and our practice just like we were mentioning earlier with the speaking but then you know you mentioned when you're up on an upswing it's important to know when to say yes to certain things and when to say no like there's a a, a moment in time when you finally have had done all that practice, you have a very good, um, you have credibility, you know it, you have the gist of what it is that you're doing now. So when, for the people who are listening, when should they be saying yes? When, when should they be saying no? Like, Brandon, I have an actual clear milestone to give you for when I knew I was doing too much and mm. I need to start saying no. And that is when I had emails that literally were three months old and I thought it just came in last week. So <laughs> I will say that is a clear indicator is when I started getting messages and I thought I was responding to them in a timely fashion, but they were literally months old. So with everything that you brought us through, which is like 100%, like I have learned so much in this, <laughs> in this episode. So let's end it like this. You're a huge powerhouse in what you do, but let's talk about what is the hardest obstacle you have to overcome and how do you deal with it? I know as creatives, there's somebody who's good at what they're doing. There's a system that, especially if you have a track, you, you have a track record of constantly improving. How do you help yourself when you over, when you come up against an obstacle, how do you get yourself in the frame of mind to help you deal with the situation and overcome that to become stronger? So I will say the thing that bothered me because I'm Oprah, the first year so much. It really, it really broke my heart was the first time I got a flood of haters, right? The first yeah. time I got a flood of trolls, just people just saying they hated me. And at the end of the day, they couldn't even give reasons why. They just really hated me. <laughs> and they hated my content. And they hated everything about me from head to toe, from my yeah. green hair to my 12 toes, just kidding. No. My 10 toes. Um, <laughs> I just made Brandon cough laugh. So I know that during that time, what really helped me is having the best kind of inner circle. So I say this a lot to people. It's really important that you have what I call a council because I'm such a nerd. So it's based off the Jedi council. <laughs> it's important that you have a really good advisory council. Now, this advisory council is made out of mentors and sponsors that you trust. So that's kind of the high level version of it, or maybe even old bosses that you had that really just support you in your career. That's also a helpful person or persons to have. 
down to people who are your, and I think this is very important, to not put in your advisory council family. Do not put your best friend or significant other others in your advisory council. Why? Because they're too close to you. They have yeah. a preconceived notion of who you are. So it's really important to exclude them from this particular council. But it is good to have people who are just people who advocate for you and you know that, say, at work um, or at previous jobs or at school if you're really young. Um, and then, of course, people who are friends, but once again, not your best friend and even friends of friends to put them in here, just people you trust to give you an honest opinion. And also people you trust that when you have a really terrible, horrible life ending day that you can tell them how you honestly feel and to know who you can go to that won't just be like, suck it up. Mm -hmm. You deserve this, right? Never have those kind of people <laughs> in your council because those people are the negative kind that you don't need. But you do need the kind that when you're like, I can't decide between this and this, they're like, honestly, you should know. It should be A, right? For all these reasons. That's the kind of brutal honesty you want. You don't want people who ever are jealous of you. You want to eliminate the people who are insecure will be jealous of you. And I have to say, I learned this the hard way. I'm still learning this constantly. To not have people in my advisory council, my inner circle for business and work that would ever get jealous, that would ever get insecure, that would ever try to swerve into my lane. If you ever see anybody in your council swerving into your lane, get them out, right? Stop telling them things. Make sure that you kind of remove them, address it with them and remove them. That's all you need to do. And I think having those kind of people there that you know will support you and support your growth and they just believe in you, that is the best way to overcome any of the difficulties that you're going to run into as a creative, as an entrepreneur, um, as somebody who's trying to do something probably a little bit different. You know, I couldn't have said it any better. Having a, it's what I call a home base. And for quite some time, you know, I thought I could just do everything myself <laughs> and just like, because you know, and I guess this is getting a little bit more personal, but for quite some time there, you know, family wasn't in, in the picture, uh, didn't really talk to a lot of friends and I was just doing my thing and it's, you know, you're executing, but you know, at home base or at the council, you know, emotionally I was not okay. And I think if you don't have home base or your council set up that, that, uh, you know, your check that keeps you in check and that you also keep in check. Um, it's, it's, uh, you're asking for a very big disaster. Um, I think it's really easy too, because if you rise, if you suddenly rise, like quite honestly, I did, right. If you suddenly rise in a level of fame that you are not used to, and there were people around me who had similar rocket style, you know, rises, especially on the LinkedIn platform. So it was very interesting to watch how we all interpreted it differently. There are people now who you know, they go up to somebody and immediately the first thing they say is, which I find super hilarious because I would never say this is the first thing. They're like, I'm the top creator on LinkedIn. You should know me. And I look at that and I'm so horrified because that should not be the thing, first of all, that defines you. But to go up to somebody and just put it like so intensely in their face is just not a pleasant experience, I think, for either party to have. So I think it's really helpful to also just kind of be cognizant of who you are, especially if you are lucky enough to be on the rise, to hit an up patch, to not 
get full of yourself, to be totally honest, right? I agree 100%. And I just want to, I know we're running short on time, and I want to thank you so very much, uh, Goldie, for really taking us through you know, your journey, how to, how you've really been fascinated with storytelling, how you've really, from an accident, been able to pull yourself through an upswing, being able to stay so consistent and, you know, keep uh, rolling with the punches and growing, running us through how you actually, which I 100% enjoyed, is how you went about doing your public speaking. You didn't just say get out there, but you gave us some actionable tips. Um, And also really how, you deal with the obstacles that you overcome, which I 100% agree with, which is the council. Everybody watch Star Wars, get in there and understand what that is. Um, so final question, who is your favorite character in the Star Wars? Uh, I was about to say trilogy. Um, nope. But you're like, Brandon, you're Star- wrong. You, Hang got, you gotta use the word universe. Universe. In, in the Star Wars universe, who is your favorite character? Uh, hands down, it is Darth Vader. Darth Vader and why? Because Darth Vader has an arc to his story. So many people in the Star Wars universe have pretty much a linear path where they do really good, do really bad, and then they die. <laughs> <laughs> and with, with Darth Vader, you know, he, he struggles a lot. If you want to see pre-Darth Vader, I mean, look at the... I'm, I'm tr- gagging a little bit. Look at the prequels. <laughs> <laughs> But you just look at his story and I feel that it's just so much more of a textured story. There's so much more that happens with him. He has to learn. AKA he's been through some shit. He's He's been been through some stuff. And I think that that actually to me makes him really human because so many of us and myself included, I've made so many mistakes and all I ask for is forgiveness that once I've learned why it's a mistake, that people will forgive me for it, right? And that I apologize if it's really bad uh, <laughs> for that mistake. But I think there's something so human about the fact that he went through this journey um, through his life. <laughs> Beautiful answer. All right. So, Goalie, tell everyone where we can find you, where we can buy your courses and everything else of the social medias. Where, we can, where can we get you? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Goldie. You can go to my website, GoldieChan.com. Find me on Twitter at GoldieChan. Or you can find me on Instagram at GoldieCylon, C-U-I-L-O-N, because I'm a huge Battlestar Galactica fan. And you can, of course, always get my courses on LinkedIn Learning slash Linda. Buy those up, guys. Learn to storytell like your girl. Goldie Chan. All right. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of Design Huddle. We will have Goldie on so many other episodes. We're super excited to have her on today. Hope you guys learned something. And other than that, we need reviews on Design Huddle. So let's go, guys. All right. Brandon Gross, your favorite designer and digital strategist, out. Design Huddle is a podcast that is hosted by Ryan Warner and Brendan Gross. The opinions stated here are our own and not those of our company. Thank you for tuning in and please feel free to share this episode.